the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Over the last couple of days, we've taken a look at the fact that you can be a Christian and still struggle. Deliverance from that struggle will be the subject of our time today, here on Truth For Today. can you be a Christian and still be miserable? Well, that's the dynamic we're exploring here this week on Truth For Today with Pastor Emeritus Phil Howard. Welcome to our program. We are here in Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, says Paul. Well, how can you be wretched if the grace of God in Christ is living in you? Well, that is the question we are answering here today. Please join us and explore with us the Christian dynamic, our series called Living the Christian Life. Here's Pastor Phil with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. You say, how can you be saved and yet be miserable? Well, they're taking up what Paul said in Romans seven twenty four: Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. Now that's his wail and his cry for deliverance. Now he, he anticipates the answer and he says it in 25. Thanks be to God through the agency of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who will deliver me from this wretchedness that I sense. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, Romans, uh, for seven chapters, and comes to the peak in the eighth chapter, is dealing with this issue. Can God deliver us from sin? He does a thorough job in the first three chapters of saying the whole world is guilty before God. They don't have one excuse. They're indicted. They're condemned. And the law shuts every mouth to put up a protest, I'm not guilty. So three chapters, he's got us thoroughly condemned. And that's what he wanted to do. And then from chapters 3 to 8, He's trying to show you, but God has got a remedy for a condemned race. And it's called God's salvation. And in God's salvation, he will do uh, four things for us. He will save us from the penalty of our sins. And he develops that in chapter 3 and right through chapter 5. Then... He begins in chapter 6 through 8. He says, God will deliver us from the power of our sins. And that is, after your deeds have been paid for, you still live with the beast inside of you called the sin principle. And you never get rid of it in this life. And so he says, is there any power to keep that in control? And chapter 7 demonstrates the law certainly could not control it. 
It threw the law to the ground as defeated, uh, as proven. You are incapable of producing in me a holy life. Uh, I'll break every rule you make. Chapter 8 is going to bring up the theme, God has a power greater than the power of the law and greater than the power of sin. And he says in his children, he delivers us from the power of indwelling sin. And that's the present tense Christian life. That's major. But you've got to know that the penalty's not over you too. And then he, he will start in chapter 8 saying, God's going to deliver you from the presence of sin. And he said, we long for a new body. We long for glory. We long for that place where uh, sin will no longer be an issue. The sin principle will be gone. Sin's gone. I'm with God forever. But I love what someone has said about Romans 8. It starts out in verse 1 with no condemnation. Verse 39, it's no separation. And everything in between is no defeat. So that is God's salvation. And so we want to look at several points. Verse 1, God delivers us from the penalty of sin. Verse 2, he delivers us from the power of sin. Verses 3 and 4, the three persons of the Trinity were involved in this deliverance. And then verses 5 through 8, there's only two kinds of people in the world, the flesh people and the spirit people. And we want to see what they look like and what they're known for. Let's take verse 1. Therefore, this is after seven chapters. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who live perfectly. Is that what yours says? You're supposed to protest. You're supposed to scream when I misread it. You're half asleep. You didn't even get it. Then you get me in the foyer and say, you, you distorted the word of God. Well, wake up. You didn't say that. You're free from condemnation because you live it so good. You're free from condemnation because you've never done anything to be condemned for anyway. You haven't read the book if you'd answer it that way. This is, this is preposterous. Unless it's true that God can say to sinners, you're not condemned. And the word condemned here is a word that means not only the verdict for having done something wrong, a verdict, we find you guilty, it also in the word katakrima here have the idea of execution carried out. You are not only proven to be guilty, but you also must be executed for what you've done. And he starts out, the first thing he wants to say is, there is no verdict against you, and there is no execution due you on one condition. Are you in Christ? And if you are in Christ, there is no penalty against you. Now, he has developed this for seven chapters, especially in chapter 3. And he's going to explain it more in, chapter, in verses uh, 3 and 4. 
How can it be there is no penalty against those in Christ? Did you know you could be in Christ and commit a sin? You could, you could be angry enough to kill someone. You could be in Christ and still commit an immoral act. You could be in Christ and commit any number of sins. And yet, in Christ, like being in one of the cities of refuge in the Old Testament, the avenger of blood can't reach you. It won't touch you. Now think on that for a moment. We don't need to rush, do we? You're not condemned this morning. Every believer, every person here in Christ, there is no divine verdict against you and no divine penalty that will ever be used against you. That's not too bad. The devil will accuse you. Family can accuse you. People can accuse you. But not God. And God says in the latter part of the chapter, who can accuse you when I've installed an intercessor who pleads for you? But I don't think Christians, I don't think we get it because uh, our own failures, our own shortcomings, uh, our own relational battles with whoever that may be, uh, we're always being judged by ourselves and by others. Our performance, did we do it, did we not do it? And, and it's easy just to be buried in the uh, arena of human opinion. There's some people who will never tell you if you do a good job, who will jump right on you if you miss it by an inch. Because if you're encouraged, that's a sin. Because we don't need encouragement. But I want to tell you, you're off. You're off on that verse about three points. I disagreed with you. And pretty soon you get to judging yourself and you can bury yourself with self-condemnation so that you're rendered dysfunctional. You can't even function in the body of Christ. Hear me well, hear me well, hear me well. If you are in Christ, I have a divine word that says in Christ, God has a people by which no divine penalties will ever touch. For all penalties have been dealt with in the person of his son. And we'll see what the three persons of the Trinity did about that. Pastor Ted and I were talking there. said, you know, as you're singing, no condemnation. He said, if you grew up with the guys I grew up with, and if you'd done what I'd done, to first hear the thought, there is no verdict against you. There is no penalty against you. Uh, there's nothing God has against you. He said, it is just mind-blowing to think that God could say that to you. If you never get over being saved, you'll always be humbled at the fact that everything against you has been removed in Christ. And this is the salvation he's developing for us in the book. First of all, I want to tell you, you condemn sinners in chapter 3. God has found a way through the death of his son by imputing his son's righteousness to you, by putting you in the new Adam, he has put you in a sphere where penalty does not exist. So that means you ought to be able to live the Christian life, going around, 
if God's for me, why am I upset that everybody else is against me? If God's for me, what's the difference with all these mere human opinions against me? You get like David, I want to always fall in the hands of God. Never let me fall in the hands of human beings. You know who the worst critics and the worst judges are? The biggest sinners. And that's why Jesus says man is incapable of judging fellow men. For his motives, his actions, of course his law. We have human law and judges in that sense. But we're just poor critics. Because we're such, uh, we're just so uh, disapproved by our own behavior. But that one who knows all evidence says, not condemned. It's deeper than I'll ever be able to develop, so I might as well go to verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, uh, that's interesting. Back in chapter 7, there was two laws. He really mentioned three laws. The law of my mind, the law of God, and the law of sin and death. But really the focus and the battle is between the law of God, God's absolute standard, the Torah, uh, the 613 commands of God in the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. And he says, those Ten Commandments that say are the law of God, when it comes in contact with the law of sin and death that dwells in me, it's called sin and death because sin is what I do, death is the result. And there's a principle in all of us called the sin nature, sin principle. It's sin and death. We rebel and we're dying from it. It brings death. And he says the law of God and the law of sin, guess who wins? Always sin. Sin can never be controlled by correct legislation. And so the law was proven to be impotent. It was proven to be uh, inadequate to produce in the people of God holiness, salvation. Uh, we just dashed it to the ground. Because of our weakness, we threw it off. That's why uh, I think one of the best things you can do in raising children and be with people is make as few a rules as you can make. When there was only one rule, we broke it in the garden. If you reduce your kid to one rule, they'll find out how to break it. But some parents, I see, they specialize in making rules. They got a rule for everything. And their kids find out how to break all of them. Rules don't govern human behavior ultimately. It sure doesn't produce the Christian life. Now I'll tell you what rules do produce. They produce a false kind of righteousness so that you become pharisaical and you say, I keep my little set of rules and you'll give yourselves credit for a righteousness that is not divine. And you'll look good in your own estimate, but you can't deal with covetousness by your rules. You can't deal with the inner thoughts of the heart, the cravings, the attitudes. You see, a rule just can't rein in that inward, sinward principle you have in you. It, you, you just can't. And he proved that in Romans 7. 
that law, anybody under law, could never become better. But he says, I'm introducing to you a new law, the principle, the norm, that word law is being played on, like a principle. The Spirit is a divine principle. He's a person, but in this sense, we've introduced a new law, a new principle of life in the believer. And what does it do when it meets with sin? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the power of the law of sin and death. The Spirit is what you've got to have, not the law. And since none of us are under the law, he is saying all believers have the Spirit. All believers, by the very presence of the Spirit, have all the power that frees them from the law of sin and death. Now that is good news. That is salvation from the power of indwelling sin. And he just makes it, by the way, he doesn't categorize Christians here. He said, this is what Christians have. Don't start categorizing. Don't, don't put a category. Christians have this. If you don't have victory over sin, we have every right to doubt whether you're a Christian. Because God has put the power in every Christian of the indwelling spirit who's the spirit of life. He doesn't even use the word spirit filling in this chapter. He didn't even use it. He said, this is what Christians get. Now, how did God accomplish this deliverance of us from the penalty and power of sin? It took all three persons of the Godhead. And notice what he says in verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, another term for our sin principle, God the Father did. God the Father saw Israel stagger under the law and break it, and it did not achieve the holiness that it was meant to achieve, but we were so sinful, we dashed the law to the ground. God the Father saw that, and he says, I've got a remedy for them. And the Father steps in to do something for us. The Father came up with the idea, I'll get my son to undertake this project for them. And notice what he does. The Father sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now listen to this. Likeness does not mean identical. Similar to sinful flesh. He was similar but not identical because he was in the flesh without sin. But he was like a man. He was a real human being apart from sin. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but not identical to it, because he was not a sinner. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And by the way, I'm using New American here because it's more exact in this passage, and I didn't want to lose it. Uh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So what did God do? First of all, he said, I'm going to send my son, and he will represent his people, and he will do two things in theology known as the active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. The active obedience is he kept the law to the max. He, he did it all. But when he kept the law, I got credit for it. 
He is my representative. So in the new Adam, I have met all the requirements of the law in Christ. But he also did something else. He bore all the penalties of those who broke the law, us. So that in his own person, he is paid for all that are sins. God said, I'll send someone who will satisfy the law's requirement. You must die if you don't keep it. He says, I'll die. But he also said, I'm doing that voluntarily. I will also keep the law. So you will crucify an innocent man and a man who has no liability to the law, but I will do it for my people. So Christ has kept the law for us. Christ has borne the penalty for what we disobeyed. And that satisfies the Father. And that's exactly what he said in Romans 3. The Son has redeemed us by his blood. And the Son has satisfied the outraged anger of God against our sins. And now, he said, it's been satisfied. It's not imputed against us. So the Father sent the Son. And then in verse 4, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice, not by us, but in us. The law's requirements have been fulfilled in us through the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, everything the law required is really fulfilled in my substitute. Then on the other hand, I experientially experience righteousness not by law-keeping, but by walking in the power of the Spirit. This is the Christian life. It was absolutely radical to the, the known world of that time. They never knew God would move inside of you. They didn't know holiness was something that would take place in you. It was all the commandments, the ritual washings, ceremonial law, on and on and on and on. But I said, no. God came to our rescue by sending Christ to keep the law for us, by sending Christ to die under the judgment of God for those who broke the law, who were great sinners. And then the righteousness of God is being fulfilled in us by the work of the Spirit as we live our lives in His power, in His sphere. That's the Christian life. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. I've been rescued from the power of sin. That's an interesting thing. Can you be a believer and still be a slave of sin? Is that ever taught in the Bible? We've switched all of our language. We call, it, we call sin sinful habits, we've named it addictions. Scripture would call it a sinful habit. I'm addicted to alcohol. Scripture would say you've got a sinful habit and that habit includes alcohol. I'm addicted to drugs. The Bible says you have the sinful enslavement to a plant or a weed, a chemical. It didn't use uh, what we call present day recovery language. It just uses slaves of sin, habitually under the control of sin versus set free from sin. Now, I must say this. 
Does our gospel say that you are not set free from sin, or does it say you are? And what we've done a whole lot of is we've created this category of carnal Christian to take in everybody that seems neither to have victory but claim to be saved. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to his knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855 833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855-833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.